It's late June, 1980. You've just finished counting your tills for the evening in your two-pump gas station off Highway 530, just east of the small town of Darrington, Washington. The sun is sinking behind the trees to the west, and an orange glow fills your little store with a golden blanket. Shadows stretch across the length of the blacktop near the pumps, and you think about that nice cold Rainier beer you have sitting in your fridge back home. As you flip the open sign on the door to close and start to lock the door, truck comes screeching into the parking lot. Great. Another couple of yahoos trying to load up on beer before heading up the mountain. Mount Pew lies just east of you, butting up to Disappointment Peak. All spring, kids have been camping near the mountain, and you've about had it with their late trips to your store to stock up on beer, although you do appreciate the business. You step out into the near darkness as the sun glow fades and yell out to the truck. Hey, I've just closed up for the night. You want to grab something, you'll need to come back in the morning. My tills are all counted and locked down. There's something odd and unsettling about the two figures sitting in the front seat. They tore into your station and left a couple of black tire marks on your pavement. But their demeanor confuses you. They are frozen stiff, not moving, just sitting. The driver's hands are gripping the steering wheel at 10 and 2, and you can make out his arms. They're shaking. The passenger is staring straight ahead, just like the driver. Neither of them are moving, save the driver's shaking arms. You... you fellas all right? You call out hoping to get some sort of reaction. The figures stay in their position, not moving a muscle. You decide to walk up to the driver's side window. You tap on the glass and try to get a reaction. Listen, I don't want no trouble. You guys okay? You seem in a hurry. The passenger continues to stare forward. The driver slowly twists his head toward you. His eyes are wide, and his pupils are dilated, as if he has just been to the eye doctor or exited a dark movie theater. Hey there, man. Roll down your window. You look like you need help. Slowly, the driver releases his death grip on the wheel with his left hand and rolls down the window of his blue Toyota pickup. There now, that's better. Hey, what's going on? You fellas look like you've just seen a ghost. The driver shakes his head very slowly. He stares at you for at least 10 seconds, that feels like 10 minutes and then tries to speak. We... we just... we just saw something that... we just saw something not normal. Something big. Stay out of the hills. Whatever you do, don't... don't go into the woods. Something's out there. A few tears fall from his eyes, but they're not tears of sorrow. Rather, they're tears that form when one has not shut their eyes often enough. The whites of his eyes are bloodshot. He almost looks possessed. Listen, you need something? I can go get you a cup of coffee or, or some water or something. You're safe now. Whatever you saw is nowhere near here. 
But at that moment, you hear a crash in the forest behind you on the other side of the station that is surrounded by trees. You turn to face the noise, and the blue Toyota tears off, heading west on the 530. You run back to your store, pop the counter, and grab the shotgun you keep hidden out of the customer's sight. If what those fellas say is true, then something, or someone, is going to meet their maker. No one comes to my store and threatens me. You slowly walk out the door, head to your left, with your back against the wall, and the barrel of your gun next to your cheek. The cold metal is hard on your skin. You slide around the corner and face the origin of the sound. There is no sign of disturbance. No broken branches. No toppled trees. Nothing. Is my mind playing tricks on me? You think to yourself. And then you hear something that will haunt you the rest of your days. A scream echoing from the long shadows, bouncing off the trees, hitting you in the face. A scream of dread. A scream of anger. A scream of death. Welcome to Darrington. Northwest Sasquatch Shadows presents Something Cryptid This Way Comes. This episode is sponsored by Pride Counseling. We live in a world of mystery, of unanswered questions, of constant bombardment from endless opinions, and mostly from questions within ourselves. I've taken advantage of online therapy and have seen the benefits as a professional, a father, a spouse, and a friend. And without the help from online counseling, I would most likely still be stuck in the ruts of uncertainty and bleakness. We all struggle with our own true nature at one point or another, or we know someone who has. Therapy can be the difference between happiness and overwhelming darkness. Pride Counseling is affordable, private online counseling for the LGBTQIA community. You can get access to licensed, trained, fully accredited counselors and therapists that are LGBTQIA friendly. These counselors and therapists have at least three years of experience, at least 2,000 hours of hands-on experience, and are qualified and certified by their state's professional board. All you need to do is go to pridecounseling.com slash pnwpod. Fill out a questionnaire, get matched with the counselor who is perfect for you, and you can start counseling today. It's more affordable than in-person counseling. And if you can't afford counseling, there is financial aid available that you can apply for. You get unlimited 24-7 messaging with your counselor, meaning you're connected with a counselor the entire time via your phone or computer, and you can schedule live video 
phone or text sessions with your counselor as well. With Pride Counseling, you're not wasting time traveling, and if you don't vibe with the therapist you're matched with, you can switch. Best of all, you connect from the comfort of your home. Half the battle of getting into counseling is getting to the counselor, and Pride Counseling eliminates that hassle. Plus, a lot of people in the LGBTQIA community are not comfortable talking to a therapist in person, out of fear of discrimination, or perhaps they just don't have access to a therapist that specializes in what they're struggling with. With Pride Counseling, you can connect with an LGBTQIA counselor from anywhere. And as a special offer to Something Cryptid This Way comes, listeners, you can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at pridecounseling.com slash pnwpod. That's P-N-W-P-O-D. Again, that link is pridecounseling.com slash pnwpod. Thank you to Pride Counseling for sponsoring this podcast. Who could forget the neon, the Aquanet hairspray, recording music on your cassette deck from the radio, the Casio synthesized music, the pink, yellow, and turquoise Converse All-Stars, and everyone's all-time favorite movie, The Goonies. I think I just described my childhood. Small town living has become a thing of admiration and nostalgia, and this takes us to our setting, Darrington, Washington, a quaint little town with a heart of gold. This small community sits in the North Cascades, about two hours northeast of Seattle, Washington. A small grid with a population that never crosses the 1500 mark. The Snohomish County town sits in a mountain valley formed by the Salk and North Folk Stillaguamish rivers. Non-indigenous settlements in the area began in the 1890s, near the traditional home of the Sakumehu tribe. Prospectors discovered the riches of the land in the 1880s, and gold was hidden deep within the ground. Soon, the logging industry took over and the Salk Prairie Settlement was established, known as The Portage. And thus, the town of Darrington was born, incorporated in 1945. Even in modern times, when you walk the small streets of Darrington, you feel you are thrust back in time. Mountains squeeze in on top of you from the east, and the rushing of the rivers nearby cause a sense of ominous peace. It's an absolutely charming town. One you might stop in while you're heading up to Pew Peak for some camping, hunting, or river kayaking. Just like the hunter in our first story. It's June 1980, and Jesse set out with his hiking partner Ted on a slightly overcast morning. Their plan was to ascend to the summit of Pew Mountain, check out the famous views, and head back the same day. The weather was a little bit overcast, which actually made prime conditions not too hot, not too cold. As they made their way up the mountain, they took in the spring wildflowers, the morning bird song, the gentle breeze blowing past them with the scent of pine and wild heather floating in the air.
creeks and streams of dark water flowed over rocks covered in blankets of moss, and the density of the foliage caused a stillness in the air. After emerging from the trees, they were greeted with looming gray clouds and a boulder-strewn landscape. It reminded Jesse of the surface of the moon. The sun finally peeked through the clouds. Jesse looked to his left and noticed a family of white mountain goats grazing in the meadow below. Marmots sounded their alarms, a high-pitched whistle, warning other marmots of Jesse and Ted's presence. It was a peaceful, serene environment, one of harmony with nature. Jesse felt his mind relax despite the strenuous climb and pressed on toward the peak. Finally, by midday, the hikers summited. The beauty of the Cascades was evident in the rolling hills, sharp cliffs, and various small mountain lakes in every direction with patches of snow glistening in the afternoon sun. They pulled out their small lunches, talked of the simple things in life, and took a short nap before their descent. It was hard to stand and leave such a beautiful place, but the wind was picking up, and the evening fell in these mountains as fast as an undertow that pulls the unsuspecting victim out to sea. They were in no hurry to be stranded in these woods, despite their beauty, and gathered up their belongings, ready to head home. They hiked across the boulder face of the mountain for an hour, and then Jesse turned to look back at the path they had just left. That's when he saw a figure sitting on the ground in a large hump. At first he thought it was a bear, but upon looking closer, he saw something that resembled a human. Hey, hey Ted, there's someone over there back on the pass. Maybe they need our help. Jesse strained his eyes. Ted was ahead of him on the trail and had entered into the dark cover of trees again. He hadn't heard Jesse call out. According to Jesse's account, a large, dark, human-like form stood up and looked directly down at him. Ted made his way back out of the trees and up to his friend who was frozen on the spot. He stopped next to Jesse and the two of them looked at the figure that was staring them down. Hey, hey, what's that figure up on the pass? Jesse asked Ted. They both stood silent and watched the figure. They knew that there were no other hikers up on the mountain, and if there were, they would have had to pass them at some point. An eerie feeling of paranormal influence came over Jesse, and his mind swam, searching for answers to describe what could not be grasped in his own reality. Jesse and Ted were familiar with the pass, the trail, and the mountain. It was like their own backyard. Nothing could, or should, be above them. Suddenly, the figure began to wave its arms in the air, over its head. The arms were unusually long for any human Jesse had ever seen. The waving was not calm, as if to say hello. Rather, it was aggressive, menacing, threatening. Jesse tried to reach into his pack to grab his camera, but he was afraid to take his eyes off the creature. As with most sightings, photography tends to be the last thing on the experiencer's mind. While Jesse knew a picture would be crucial, the thought quickly escaped his mind. He and Ted stood in wonder, haunted wonder, contemplating what their eyes were taking in. Surely this was a creature and not a human. But what kind of creature could it be? Bears don't wave their arms over their heads, and even if they did, their arms are not even a quarter of the size of this creature's. 
After what seemed a speck in time but ended up being over 15 minutes, the creature lowered its arms. A cloud cover began to roll in and cover the pass where the creature stood. The hikers continued to stand transfixed, almost as if in a trance, and suddenly were awoken from their stupor. The sun was hiding behind the gray clouds, and the reality of their vulnerable isolation hit them in full force. It was time to leave, and fast. The hikers made their way into the trees. Five miles. We have five miles until we're safe. Jesse yelled out to Ted, who had slowed his pace after a mile. Indeed, they needed to get to their truck and the safety of the small nearby town of Darrington. As they continued running through the dark forest, Jesse couldn't help but feel they were being watched, even chased. He couldn't hear anything behind them as he and Ted's boots were kicking up dirt, rocks, and mud, and he was sure of it. They were being followed. They continued their near sprint down the mountain and finally, after what seemed hours, arrived at their truck. Jesse hoped that another vehicle would be near their truck, explaining the presence of the creature. Maybe it's just a crazy person with, with really long arms. Maybe some idiot is playing a prank. But no sign of another person was at the trailhead. They were alone. The sun was setting and was nearly on the horizon. They had to get out of there. The hikers jumped into the truck and Jesse threw it into gear. They sped out of the gravel-covered parking lot and peeled onto road 1855, connecting to the 530. They sat in silence. Only the wind blaring through the windows and the sound of the engine shifting gears filled their heads. Both were lost in thought. What they had seen was not human, but it wasn't an animal either. It was different. Something not of this world, and if it was, then something not of this dimension. In the distance, they finally saw a gas station. They pulled into the small parking lot and noticed the attendant flipping over the open sign. The sky cast an odd orange glow across everything. Jesse cranked his steering wheel to the left and the truck slid to a stop. The engine idling, Jesse and Ted knew they had seen something no one would ever believe. the moment to important enduring and enduring aspects of this vital relationship for the United States. And it's important at this time to act in a way that will encourage the further development and deepening of the positive elements of that relationship and the process of democratization. It would be a tragedy for all if China were to pull back to its pre-1972 era of isolation and repression. Mindful of these complexities, and yet of the necessity to strongly and clearly express our condemnation of the events of recent days, 
I'm ordering the following actions. Suspension of all government-to-government -government sales and commercial exports of weapons. Suspension of visits between U.S. and Chinese military leaders. Sympathetic review of requests by Chinese students in the United States to extend their stay. And the offer of humanitarian and medical assistance through the Red Cross to those injured during the assault. And review of other aspects of our bilateral relationship as events in China continue to unfold. It's early June, 1989. Across the globe, civil unrest has broken out in the People's Republic of China. Demonstrations by students are being held in Tiananmen Square in Beijing, the capital of the country. Troops armed with assault rifles, along with tanks, roll onto the scene, and by June 5th, a day that will go down in history as a day of darkness with cries heard around the world, the protests were suppressed. Over one million people had gathered over the last three weeks to oppose a market economy that benefited some, but disadvantaged even more. This was a call to arms to challenge the Mao regime and the politically elite of the country, and sadly, it is said hundreds, maybe thousands, died for their convictions that day. Embargoes were placed on China from multiple Western countries, foreigners in China were deported, and the unrest was felt in every corner of the world. At the same time, small towns across the United States felt the absolute opposite of the oppression being forced upon the masses in non-democratic countries. Where economic well-being was not necessarily a dominating factor in everyday life, people continued on. Small towns in Washington state were becoming more popular as tourist attractions, and Darrington was such a town. Southwest of Darrington lies an even smaller community called Rogue. Named after local pioneer William Rogue and situated on the land of the Tulalip tribe, otherwise known as Quilcita Village, this tiny community was home to a post office, a few homes, and a lumber mill between the years 1894 and 1908. The town moved around over the years on maps, the locals not really caring or even knowing where the boundaries lay. The town remains unincorporated today, with a few homes scattered about the wilderness and a close proximity to Darrington. And that is where we meet Jim and Lyle. It's June 1st, 1989, and while protests in China dominate the news circuit, Jim was tired of watching his mother and father tune into the news every night to see the uprising. His friend Lyle lived down the gravel road near his house, and he was anxious to get outside and practice shooting his BB gun. He grabbed a bag full of empty beer cans, threw his gun over his shoulder, and headed out to meet Lyle in a freshly logged clear-cutting about a mile and a half behind Lyle's house. It was dusk. There was a gentle breeze in the air, and the sound of local birdsong announced the sinking of the sun. Jim and Lyle set down their gear on the edge of the clear-cutting. They grabbed a bag full of beer cans and walked about 25 yards to the west, where stumps of all shapes and sizes sat like headless ghosts in the coming darkness. Place some over there on that big one. I'll put some on the smaller stump over here. 
want to practice my quick fire at different heights. Jim rolled his eyes. The boys placed their cans, around 20 in total, on various sized stumps and walked back to their BB guns. Nailed it, what a sweet shot. Ha, I can hit the can behind it. You know I've got a better shot than you. <laughs> no way, man, watch this. Jim put a can in his sight line and fired. He toppled three cans in a row. Whoa, okay, okay, you win. After a couple of hours, the sun had completely sunk and the darkness had enveloped them in a blanket of nightfall. We'd better get back. I didn't bring a flashlight, did you? Oh, crap, nope. Let's go. The boys packed up their gear, leaving the toppled cans laying in the clear cutting where they knew they could come back and pick them up later, and made their way back to the trees for the hike back to Lyle's house. sounded from the trees, echoing off the nearby hills. The boys froze, looked at each other, and turned back in the direction of the howl. Probably just a coyote. Yeah, a coyote. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you ever felt like you're in a tunnel? The sides are closing in on you. You're unable to escape the overwhelming feelings of unhappiness, anger, worry, or fear. I have, many times. Over the years, I've tried to solve my own problems, lean on myself, and suppress the depression of my past and the anxiety of my future. Then I decided to do something about it. And while I'm still a work in progress, I know that without getting help, those invisible monsters would reach for any opportunity they can to consume me. They still do. But with online therapy, I'm conquering those monsters. And it feels good. Without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is, therapy works. But what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. Or, or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work. Maybe you're not dealing well with stress. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better. Because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself, because you are your greatest asset. And here's a special offer for Something Cryptid This Way Comes listeners. 
you can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash PNW. That's betterhelp.com slash PNW. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. They still had about a mile to go and the darkness was clutching their every step. After five minutes of walking, they heard another howl, just like the first one, but closer. The boys were terrified and started to run. Their jogging pace turned into an all-out sprint. As they broke through the tree line near an open field, they could see Lyle's house a few hundred yards away. Lights were glowing in the window, and the safe haven beckoned them home. They slowed their pace, their confidence growing again, and made their way forward. With only a short distance to go, another howl flooded the air. This second howl, as recalled later by Jim, sounded like it was from something really big that was very close. The scream continued, and they could hear an object crashing through the woods toward them. Oh my god, run! The boys dropped their guns, bolted toward Lyle's house, dodging small saplings that were scattered across the meadow, and dove over a barbed wire fence, rolling on the ground on the other side. They jumped to their feet and sprinted toward the house. Jim turned his head as he ran, and that's when he saw the behemoth figure that was chasing them. A seven-foot creature with brownish-red hair came barreling out of the trees. It was stocky in stature and reminded Jim of a linebacker from a professional football team. Its shoulder-length hair was flowing behind it and the moonlight from over its shoulder caused the creature to look like a silhouette with the details of the face being mostly hidden from the boys. It continued to scream and snarl. Jim and Lyle made it to the house, locked the door, and ran upstairs to a window facing the front yard. Their pursuer was outside, shrieking and throwing things against the outer wall. With the windows open, the boys could smell whatever the thing was. It reminded them of a dead possum, a common marsupial troublemaker in these parts. The crashing noises hitting the house grew louder, and a huge crash was followed by the sound of a broken window. That must be the garbage cans. Jeez, that thing is strong. I think it broke a window. Yeah, th that's probably the kitchen window. When, when is your dad coming home? I don't know, soon I hope. We just gotta stay hidden. That thing looks pissed. Think it's angry we were shooting our guns? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's just angry about the clear cutting. Who knows? The boys stayed out of sight, glancing out the window on the second floor. All at once, like someone had hit a mute button, the night went silent. Jim and Lyle stayed where they were, sitting in absolute stillness. Eventually, Lyle's father came home. What the? Lyle, you here? What's with all the garbage outside? What did you guys do? Dad, Dad, we're up here. Lyle's father made his way upstairs and found the boys cowering in the corner on the floor underneath the window. Dad, 
You, you won't believe what just happened. We, we didn't make that mess. It was something else. Jim and Lyle took turns explaining what had happened. Lyle's father grabbed a flashlight, and the three slowly made their way out of the front door, walking around the strewn garbage, the dented garbage can, and the rocks and stones that had been hurled at the house. They made their way to the barbed wire fence that had a few posts uprooted from the ground, and found brownish-red hair remnants snagged on pieces of the wire. Uh, that's... that's not bear hair. Lyle's father's voice sounded shaken. He lived his entire life in these woods, and had never seen hair like this before, at least not from an animal that frequented this wilderness. They made their way back to the house, where Lyle's father placed the hair in a plastic bag to send off to a lab. The three sat at the kitchen table in silence, surrounded by shattered glass and an aura of uncertainty. Their lives would never be the same. Whatever they saw didn't want them there. Whatever they saw wanted to scare them. And it worked. The boys would never hike back near the clear cutting. They would never look into the trees without wondering what was looking back at them. They would never feel the stillness of night in the woods for the rest of their lives. enjoyed this journey into the events of 1980 and 1989 near Darrington, Washington. Special thanks to Granite Falls Historical Museum, Snohomish County, and the town of Darrington, Washington. Dialogue used in this short story is created from the events of the 1980s as recalled by eyewitnesses in the Darrington, Washington area, and is not necessarily accurate, but is based on extensive research. To learn more about the townships and dwelling places of Washington, explore Lucille McDonald's book titled Where the Washingtonians Live, available wherever fine books are sold. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes, make sure you immerse yourself in the experiences of the 1924 events of Fred Beck at Mount St. Helens, the abduction of Albert Ostman in British Columbia, and the experiences of U.S. troops during the Vietnam conflict where numerous soldiers witnessed an ape-like creature in the Kantum province. And be sure to revisit Season 1 to hear short first-hand accounts and experiences. Soon, those episodes will only be available on Patreon, so you might want to go listen quickly. For Old Mountain Media and Pacific Northwest Sasquatch Shadows, this has been Something Cryptid This Way Comes, which is written, produced, and sound engineered by me, Dr. Russ. If you like the show, please leave a 5-star rating and a review. And be sure to share this podcast with your friends, family, and all over your social media. Something Cryptid This Way Comes can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and many other podcast carriers, including Luminary. Visit us on Instagram at Pacific Northwest Sasquatch Shadows. Follow and become a cryptid fan. Also, be sure to visit the Old Mountain Media page on Facebook and follow along. That's Old, with an E, Mountain Media. I also want to make a short shout-out to Michael Montoya's YouTube and Instagram channel, The Drawings of Bigfoot. 
Michael does an incredible job gathering eyewitness accounts and illustrating as a sketch artist does according to what the eyewitness has seen and experienced. Make sure you visit his artwork at thedrawingsofbigfoot.com and check out the episode notes for more. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to tighten the lids on your garbage cans. There's nothing worse than having garbage thrown through your kitchen window. Or, so I've heard. This Way Comes is a production of Old Mountain Media. Visit us on Instagram at PNW Sasquatch Shadows and Facebook at Old Mountain Media. Something cryptid. This Way Comes. comes. comes.